you would open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, how can I pray anything other than what the Apostle Paul prayed? For for me to pray something different would be to pray something less. And so I pray that as Your Word is read and proclaimed, that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and depth and, and all in all discernment so that you so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure sincere and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God amen Last week we began looking at Paul's prayer for the Philippians, uh, and we really only made it uh, part way through verse nine. We noted that Paul, in this uh, short three-verse prayer, prayed uh, for what he knew that the Philippians in uh, or the congregation in Philippi needed most, and by consequence. We as a congregation in Brandon, Florida, also need these things in our individual lives and in our congregation as a whole. Secondly, we noted that because Paul prays for God to give these things to the Philippians, that we can take these requests that he is praying as promises for us. In other words, we can know that God wants us to possess these things in our lives as well. So where the Apostle Paul prays for love to to abound in their congregation, that is what God wants for us and what He promises to us. And so we looked at verse 9 and saw that God wants us to have that abounding love. Furthermore, we saw that God wants our abounding love to be coupled with abounding knowledge and discernment. And we only got so far as looking at the abounding knowledge. And so we're going to look at what it means to be abounding in discernment here in a few moments. But first, I must ask you, uh, what is the source of abounding Christianity. We're talking here about abounding Christianity. And in within that 
or under that uh, that heading, we are talking about abounding love, abounding knowledge, abounding discernment, abounding readiness for the day of Christ, abounding fruitfulness. So now I'm asking you this question, the foundational question: What is the source or the foundation for our abounding Christianity? <clears throat> Excuse me. To answer that question. I want to tell you a story that T.E. Lawrence once told. It's a true story. Some of you who are history buffs uh, may know T.E. Lawrence um, already uh, by another name. Some of you who are um, who love older movies uh, might know him by an older name. T.E. Lawrence is otherwise known as Lawrence of Arabia. He was an officer in the British Army during World War I, and he acted as a liaison between the, the Arabs who were fighting against the Turks, or the Turkish um, Arabs. And so he, uh, the British were aligned with the Arabs, and so he was there, he was training them, he was assisting them in their fight. Um, against the Turkish during World War One. After the war, uh, Lawrence of Arabia brought uh, some of his Arab friends back with him to England. And the Arabs that he was working with were Bedouins. Uh, they were basically nomads who lived in tents out in the desert and they would move from, from oasis to oasis, from water source to water source. And uh, while they were living, or while they came to visit in uh, London, they stayed in a beautiful hotel. And uh, as he's taking them out and he's showing them around the sights of London, well, it doesn't really pique their interest. You know, he shows them the London Bridge. Well, that's not real important to them. You know, he shows them Big Ben. That's not very important. What they were fascinated with were these knobs in their hotel rooms that you could turn and then out of these faucets would come an endless supply of water. And this was just fantastic to them to have all the water that they could want. Well, while uh, T.E. Lawrence was helping his friends check out of the hotel room, he noticed that all the knobs and all the faucets had been removed and that they were going to take these knobs and faucets uh, back with them to the desert. See, they had the mistaken impression that these faucets would help them to get water once they got back to the desert. They did not realize that the faucets would do them no good unless they were connected to the pipeline that brought the water. So I ask again, what is the source or what is the pipeline for abundant Christianity? The TV preachers will tell you that your money is the source for abundant Christianity. You give them your money and God will bless you abundantly. I always uh, kind of chuckle um, when I think about my pastor friend who took his church stationery and he wrote a letter and uh, he said, 
that he was a pastor and they could put their their teaching into practice by giving uh, them some of their money uh, since uh, they taught that God would bless them when they give money to to the preacher. And, uh, of course, he never heard back from them. Others might suggest that uh, prayer is the source for abundant Christianity. The more you pray, the more abundant your walk with Christ will be. Still others believe that uh, your faithfulness is the source for um, your blessing and abundance. And then others believe that uh, religious activity or what we might call churchianity is the source for living an abundantly blessed Christian life. What is churchianity? Churchianity is going to church, getting involved, so that you'll be pleasing to God. None of these things is the source for abundant Christianity. These things, if you are relying on them, are about as helpful to you as those faucets were to those Arabs out in the desert. So the question remains, what is the source of abundant Christianity? Well, it's not rocket science. In fact, I bet some of our children that were up here, even some of the youngest ones, could give the answer. The source for abundant Christianity is Jesus Christ Himself. Last last week, in verse 9, we saw that Jesus Christ is the source for abounding love, that He is the source for abounding knowledge, and, of course, we would also believe that He is the source for abounding discernment, but we, didn't, we did not talk about that last week. So if you'll look with me at verse 9, Paul says, "...it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment." Literally, this word um, translated would be all insight. And this is a practical kind of knowledge. Uh, With this kind of knowledge, God helps us to know what is best. And and, and with this kind of knowledge, He gives us the ability to put our faith into practice. So the abounding knowledge that we talked about last week is God's grace that He also gives you abounding discernment so that you can take that knowledge and put it into practice. Theology is not an end in itself to puff you up with knowledge. Rather, it is to be put into practice. You don't put your faith into practice. James says you're like that man who looks at himself in a mirror, immediately going away, forgets what he looks like. Rather, put your faith into practice. And even your efforts at putting your faith into practice is God's grace. He gives you that insight that discernment to know how and to know what is best, how to prioritize so that you don't go down rabbit trails. And so Paul prays that God would give them this this kind of knowledge. It's not a skill that we develop by ourselves. It's a grace that God gives us. Being the parents of teens, my wife and I 
long with eager expectation for our children to mature, to learn how to, to live life without us standing behind them. Um, and uh, it's not, their maturity is not simply something that comes with age. It's not simply part of the maturation process. Rather, God says it is part of His grace that we should pray for. Parents, pray for your children. Congregation, you just committed to Sylvester and Tiffany to pray for their children. I would urge you to make their prayers, make your prayers for them, to make your prayers for each other, to make your prayers for yourself. These three verses that we are examining here this morning from Philippians chapter 1. Let's move on to verse 10 and see what it means to possess abounding readiness. Uh, Verse 10 says, "...so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." I mentioned this topic recently, but it appears again here in our text, and so I'll mention it again. Every one of us will have to appear as individuals before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, "...we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." And so this is what the Apostle Paul means when he talks about the day of Christ. He talks about that day when we, when every person, not just believers... But every person who has ever lived will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I assure you, you want to be abounding in readiness when you are before Him on that great and awesome day. So what does it mean to be abounding in readiness? Many simply, means, many simply believe it means that you believe in Jesus. And in their minds... Oftentimes, I believe, this seems to be what they're saying. I've done my part, Jesus. I've believed in You, and so You've got to do Your part and let me into heaven. Um, that's unbiblical. Listen to me closely. Faith, or believing in Jesus, is not the source for your salvation. Faith, to use the faucet um, illustration, simply opens the valve for you to receive the real source of your salvation. And of course, the real source of your salvation is Jesus Christ Himself. And when Jesus, the source, comes into your life, He does two things. First, He does something for you. Uh, This is typically what we mean when we talk about the doctrine of justification. He washes you clean from your sins. He takes your guilty record and He wipes it clean. In other words, He forgives you of your sins. But then secondly, and this is often overlooked... He does something in you. So He does something for you. Takes away your sins. Covers them over with with His own blood. 
That's why He died on the cross. That's why Easter is so important. But then He also does something for you. And that is, He changes you. He washes your soul, so to speak. He regenerates you. He raises you from the dead spiritually. He gives you a complete makeover. Sorry, I've got to use those terms since I have so many females in my family. They can understand what I mean when I use the word makeover. He makes you pure and blameless in your inmost desires. And so that's what he's talking about here in verse 10. So that you may be able to approve what is excellent and so may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, I believe what he's saying here, and the commentators agree with me, that he's not simply talking about what he does for you in justification, but rather the purity, actually the word literally is sincerity in the Greek, the sincerity and the blamelessness is not simply... Him forgiving you of your sins, but He is remaking you. He has made you into a new person and now He is helping you to live a holy life. And so that when you are standing before Him on that great and awesome day, you not only have the assurance that your sins have been paid for, that you belong to God, but that He was at work in you, to to paraphrase verse 6, that He completed that good work in you that He began earlier. That those good works which He prepared in advance for you to do, Ephesians 2.10, that you, by His grace, carried them out. That you, to paraphrase Philippians 2.12 and 13, that you worked out your salvation with fear and trembling because it was God at work in you, making you sincere in your faith, pure in your desires, blameless in your walk. So, do you live in such a way that you are blameless in everything you do? Um, Of course not. Who of us does? Let me ask you this second question. Do you want to live a pure and blameless life? Is that the inmost desire of your being? To be pure and blameless? Because your God is pure and blameless? If if that is your desire, that is because God, the Lord Jesus, began a good work in you. And He is perfecting you day by day by day. Now God's standard is infinite. And you may grow in your faith. You'll never reach His perfection. In fact, um, I look out and I see Steve and I think of our, um, our dynamics of, of spiritual change uh, class and Dr. Pallison talking about you know, it, we, we stumble and fall, we go backwards, we go forwards. And, and so our, our Christian life feels like a yo-yo, up and down, up and down. But we look back and we realize, wow, I've grown. In other words, 
Your life may feel like a yo-yo, but your hand, but your life is in the hands of God, of a man. Uh, I, I guess to keep the illustration, but really it's God, the Holy Spirit, walking upstairs. You're making progress through the ups and the downs. How do you make that progress? You make that progress through repentance. Because when God changes you and your desires become new, then it breaks your heart um, when you sin against Him. You repent. And this repentance is a wonderful gift of God that He has given us. It's a gateway with no chain or lock on the gate. And we can always return back to Jesus Christ through that gateway of repentance. Um, even 70 times 7 times. Because God has so worked in you, because He has so made you pure and blameless in your desires, then your sins burden you when you sin against Him. And so you continually are turning back to God in repentance. Um, and look what happens when that is what's going on in your life, when God has made you pure and blameless in your desires. Through that ongoing repentance, look at verse 11. You become filled with the fruit of righteousness. Isn't that good news? You know, we think when we are going through repentance and we're sad because of our sins, we're brokenhearted, we're disgusted with ourselves. You know what's happening? God's pruning you. That's why repentance is so painful. God is taking the pruning shears to your life and He is taking the dead wood and pruning it off and making you more fruitful. I want you to, um, I want you to turn to John chapter 15. Uh, if you have your pew Bibles, you can open up to page 901. Uh, if you don't want to open your Bibles, there's still no excuse because you have a bulletin. Uh, and that John 15 was our responsive reading. But it warms my heart as a pastor to see people with open Bibles in their laps. Here in John 15, God, or how do I know that, that repentance... Um, is, is, is implied here in, in, um, in Philippians 1 because there's fruitfulness taking place. And God, again, calls it pruning. So you look at verses 1 and 2 in John 15. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, <gasps> He prunes. See, you would think that it would be the branches that aren't bearing fruit that He would prune. But it's the fruitful branches that He's pruning. And then to continue, um, that He may bear more fruit. That's what God's wanting to do in your life if you're a believer. He wants you to bear more fruit. So why does God bear, prune us? So that we will be more fruitful. See, we think of repentance as for people who, who are not bearing fruit and they need to bear fruit. Well, they do need to repent. But he specifically says that pruning repentance is for believers.
And then he continues. Um, oh, remember how Paul said, and I believe this pa- passage parallels, and maybe, I don't know if uh, Paul had this passage in mind, I don't know if John 15 had been written when Philippians was written, I, I don't know. But it parallels uh, very closely. Remember how Paul prayed that they would be pure and blameless? Well, look at what uh, Paul says, I mean, Jesus says to the disciples here in, verse, in John 15, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So Jesus told them that they were already clean. Paul says that uh, on the day of Christ, he, he wants you to be pure and blameless. Uh, where do you find the source of your fruitfulness? Look at verses 4 and 5. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, Jesus is the source of our fruitfulness. Just like He is the source of our abounding love, just as He is the source of our knowledge, our discernment, uh, of our blamelessness, and um, in our uh, purity. And then He uh, He goes on. Um, what are? Let me ask this question: What happens if Jesus is not? the source of your fruitfulness. Well, look again at the passage. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in Me, so he's not abiding in Christ, Christ is not the source of his fruitfulness. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So, no one can bear fruit apart from Christ. But you say, wait a minute. Some of those fruits of the Spirit I am able to produce in my life. And I was able to produce in my life before I became a Christian. And there's other people out here, non-Christians, who don't believe in Jesus. Well, they can love. They can have joy. They can have peace. So can we really produce fruit with Jesus not being the source? Well, do you remember the story I told you shortly after I came here? And this, you had to go back a, a while. Um, shortly after Mandy and I first moved here, I told you a story about how my wife, when we moved down to Florida, the Citrus State, she wanted to walk out in her PJs first thing in the morning and pick herself some oranges so that she could come in and have fresh squeezed orange juice. Well, we don't have an orange orange tree on our, you know, by our house. So I did the next best thing. I went down to Publix, bought some oranges, took a staple gun, stapled them all over the little palm tree that we have, and she can go and uh, pick herself some oranges and squeeze them. My wife and I were having a debate. Uh, the Bethany family was uh, involved in this debate whether, um, whether our spouses were high-maintenance. Well, my contention is my wife was high maintenance because she was not satisfied with my solution in stapling these oranges to the the palm tree. Now, of course, I'm joking around. 
both about the story and about my wife being high maintenance. She's not here today, and I know what she's going to hear. Um, but if my wife is high maintenance for not being happy about picking fruit that did not grow from an orange tree, then so is the Lord Jesus. He is high maintenance. Because if you appear before Him on the judgment day, if you appear before the judgment seat of Christ with some fruit that you have just kind of stapled onto your life to try and recommend yourself or trick Him, make Him think that you were fruitful when indeed your heart was far from Him, He will not be satisfied with that fruit either. He is only looking for fruit that comes from Him as the source. And what happens to the people who don't have fruit? Again, verse 6, He casts them off. Cast them into everlasting darkness. They are fit only to be thrown into the burn pile. My last point going back to Philippians. In verse 10, "...so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." I'm sorry, verse 11, "...filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God." My last point is that your fruitfulness that Christ produces in you is not about you. It's about God. In verse 11, this fruit comes through Jesus Christ. There He is. He is the source for your abundance, for your abundant Christianity to the praise and glory of God. Two applications. First of all, if you think that you are doing all these big favors for God and that God that you are God's gift to Christianity because of your fruitfulness. You have it all upside down. Your fruitfulness is for God and for His glory. The second question is, or rather the second question is not, am I trusting Christ so that He will allow me into heaven? Am I trusting Christ so that, so that I can be saved? I think this passage really forces us to ask the question differently. And that is, do you flee to your Lord Jesus Christ because you love Him so much and that you want Him to be glorified um, by your fruitfulness? And do you flee to Him when you're not being fruitful? Do you flee to Him when you are are um, not trusting Him? Do you flee to Him when you break His commandments? Because He is so glorious and your heart has been changed because you've been made a new person. Because He's begun that good work in you that He will bring to completion. Does it break your heart? And if it does, that is one of the surest assurances you can have that God is indeed at work in you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we have dug into a passage that has the Lord Jesus Christ written all over it. And for that, we rejoice. For that, we are encouraged. For that, 
we exalt and give praise to You. And I ask that You would encourage those who are downcast with this Gospel of the Lord Jesus. That You would humble those who are prideful with this Gospel of the Lord Jesus. That You would bring to repentance those who are living in unrepentant sin because of this Gospel of the Lord Jesus. And that You would all, that You would strengthen us all in our faith as You, by Your grace, help us to abound more and more in all love and all knowledge and all discernment that we may be able to approve what is excellent, that we may be uh, pure, blameless, sincere on the day of Christ, being filled continually with the fruit of righteousness that doesn't come from ourselves, but comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God Himself. Amen.